The GOAT. Tom Brady officially announces he's stepping away from the game after 22 years. Mike worked with him four years. We'll reflect on what made him one of the greats ever. Former Dolphins coach Brian Flores suing the NFL and multiple teams alleging racial discrimination. What that means for him and Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. Washington finally lands on a name, a potential new coaching hire in Minnesota, and another NFL team is up for sale. All that coming up on the GM Shuffle. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. And away we go here in the GM Shuffle. And there is no shortage of news to talk about, whether it's Flores, whether it's Brady. But before we do that, Mike, let's just talk about the fact... (laughs) The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. Yep, take a breath. That did happen. That's still happening. But what are teams doing right now? That 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 two-week break, I mean, it drives you nuts as a fan. You can't wait to watch the game. Let's go. And you got to kind of press pause. But you've been there. You've been in the trenches. What are teams doing now when it's like the true calm before the storm, before you're traveling to the Super Bowl city this year, Los Angeles? You know, this week is really the work week. I mean, this is the week that the coaches starting on Monday after the game, they put in the game plan. They Monday and Tuesday is the typical, they stay on their schedule. Monday, Tuesday, put the game plan in. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, practice the game plan. Uh, I don't know what day they're going to travel. So maybe they practice even Saturday and then they travel Sunday. And then when they get to the host city, obviously, you know, Tuesday's a day off and then they repeat the, the game plan Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at the host city. But pretty much when they land in the city where they're going, the game plan's been done. Now the Bengals don't have an indoor facility. So they've gone, if they practiced this week, which they have, they've gone outside and practiced and done their stuff on their practice field. And I'm sure the Rams have done exactly the same thing. I, I don't get the sense that it, it's a high level of intensity practice in terms of pads or any of that. But I, I think it's, a, it's you know, they got to get your work done. I think they stay within the routine. And then as they get to the host city in Los Angeles, they tweak the game plan, add more. It's just really two weeks of being able to practice the stuff you're going to execute in the game. We will do two episodes next week, Monday and Thursday, as usual, previewing the Super Bowl. And we'll talk more about everything to do with the game. Offense, defense, special teams, an advantage for the Rams being at home, all that. Don't worry, we're going to get into all that. But we've got no shortage of news here. Beginning with the GOAT, Tom Brady officially retires. The stats are insane, which is why I need to repeat them. Most all-time in Super Bowl wins, seven. Super Bowl MVPs, five. Playoff wins, 35. Overall wins, 243. Over 7,000 completions, passing yards just under 85,000, 15-time Pro Bowler, and 624 passing touchdowns. Now, the official announcement comes after ESPN reported he was retiring, refuted by Brady's inner circle. Clearly, he wanted to be the one to make the announcement, not a tweet by Adam Schefter. But bottom line is this, 22 years, remarkable. And Mike, you know him better than most. You worked alongside Tom Brady. What truly set him apart and made him the GOAT? Because I don't think anyone ever saw this one coming. Well, I think humble. I think he's just amazingly humble. So for a kid that grows up in Northern California, you know, he's, uh, you know, a a multi-sport athlete in high school. He's a power-hitting left-handed catcher, gets drafted in the 18th round by the Montreal Expos and fell in love with football, continued to work at football, you know, had a couple scholarships offered, goes to Michigan and, 
you know, he lands there. He's seventh on the depth chart. And before you know, too long, he's the team captain leading them to victories in the Citrus Bowl and the Sugar and the, and the Orange Bowl. So, you know, it, it was it was one of those, it was the background of him to me, of his humbleness, his willingness to never think he's entitled to anything and that work always went first. And so because of that, he has the next game is always the more important game. He just has this insatiable, insatiable appetite for achievement. And when you combine that with his discipline to maintain, his discipline to do the same thing over and over and over again, it's just remarkable. And I think that's why he's been able to play at 44 competitive. I mean, look at Big Ben. Big Ben, you know, we we saw Ben deteriorate before our very eyes. There was times where Brady didn't look as good some seasons, 13. But this year, he didn't look like it. He looked like he still had a lot of gas left in the tank. So I think more, it's his humble demeanor and never forgetting where he came from. I think that's really what resonates with them. Competitive fire, never to be extinguished. Clearly a, uh, a guy who wanted to win at all costs and was you know, so desirous of the final outcome, he was willing to leave New England, take a risk, go to Tampa Bay, but it worked out splendidly. I mean, he won a Super Bowl there. And for those who are saying he still had more left in the tank, to your point, still had a great season. I'm always at the belief, leave one year too early rather than stay one year too late. And I feel like Tom probably felt the same way, Mike. He did not feel like this team was going to win a Super Bowl next season. You saw the injuries creep up, the issues with personnel. If we're not winning at all, I might as well step away. Do you think that's the main part of it? Obviously, he wants to spend time with friends and family. Giselle, I get that. But I think that the competitive aspect with Tom, if he could win one more, he'd do it. He doesn't think we're going to win one more. Well, I, I felt like when he signed that two-year contract, AD, I felt like he made a commitment to his family that it was just going to be two more years because he could have signed a four-year year deal. He could have signed a five-year deal. He could have signed an eight-year deal. He signed a two-year deal, you know, and basically got the bulk of the money guaranteed and said, okay. And I think the deal was, look, for the family, you can go do this for two years because for Tom, it's a complete sacrifice, right? For Tom, it's all, it starts in February. It's 12 hours a day all the way through until the last game's played. So I think that he, he made a deal like a lot of people make deals with their families. Look, if I do this and then I'm going to walk away. Roger Martin, who's a wonderful business writer, he wrote the book, The uh, the Opposable Mind. And he writes on Medium. He has a bunch of really good articles on Medium. And he's written, and he used to be the, the, the head of the Toronto School of Business. And he just is really a very good business thinker. And, and unfortunately, I've been able to become friends with him and you know, hopefully one day we can write a book together. But we were talking the other day about, you know, and he's going to write this column soon for the Harvard Business Review. And and he was, we were talking about how great players, talent, you know, really that talented players are more inspired by their appreciation and their individualistic uh, respect that they receive from the company. You know, it's like, it, it, it's, uh, and, he, and he's going to use Aaron Rodgers as an example for this. And, and the talent includes being able to be motivated by compensation to a degree by the fact that they're motivated by being treated by special individual respect. And I think that that's some, something as Brady got towards the end of his career, he was craving. I think that's what Rodgers is craving now. It's, we as fans see this, 
as a demand and he's not being a good teammate because he wants to have this individualist respect, Rodgers being the example here, and same with Brady. But in a sense, when you have this elite talent, that's the that may be the root cause of how you motivate yourself. And the announcement, by the way, does not come without some controversy. I mentioned the fact that maybe Phil thought Schefter got the story wrong. No, that's not true. But in his lengthy announcement post, he thanked a litany of people, the Bucks, Tampa fans, the Glazer family, you know, Bruce Arians, a ton of people. Zero mention of anything Patriots-related. Even used a photo taken from Gillette Stadium earlier this year where the Bucks beat the Patriots. Much has been said, Mike, about the relationship, Brady and the Patriots and Belichick. Do you read anything into this? Or is this much ado about nothing? No. I think a lot of it is about nothing. I mean, when when... Belichick walked into the visiting clubhouse on on October 3rd and spent 15 minutes talking to Brady. I think that it, it's pretty clear. I think the two years in Tampa, A.D., reinforced and rekindled the love and respect that each had for one another. I, I think that's really, I think people are missing the boat here. You know, I, I think that Brady has gone across the line and saw how other people do it. And I think by being over there, no disrespect to Bruce Arians or anybody in the Bucks, he then gained a larger sense of appreciation for Belichick. And Belichick obviously has a greater sense of appreciation. He put out a press release saying he's the greatest player of all time. And, and I was writing, it just so happens that just this past week, I, I finished the, the what if chapter of my book, which is basically I take, what if Peyton Manning would have come out and played for the Jets? What if John Elway would have gotten traded to the to the Raiders like Al Davis thought was going to happen? What happened if what would happen if Tom Brady didn't get drafted by the Patriots? And I think that both men would have had success because both men are talented perfectionists. But I think the combination of their partnership, the exchange of the knowledge, you know, and the talent that was brought forth on the field and the talent that was brought forth off the field made it this dynasty almost it, it's just never going to happen again. This partnership's never going to happen again. And I think that that mutual respect is there. And just because there wasn't a press release, I think my first reaction was, well, he thanked the Patriots when he left, when he retired. Right. Why does he have to thank them again? I mean, it's like set a thank you note for a thank you note. You know, it's like, I don't understand that. You know, thank you for your thank you note. No, thank you for your thank you note. You know, how long does this go on? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously Twitter made a huge deal of it, but I, I, there's no way, there's just no way in my mind or by evidence that I know that both people don't have the greatest respect for one another of all time. It's almost like leaving a job. You're leaving the current job. Why am I thanking my previous employers? I already thanked them when I left previously. So I, I totally right. get your point, but it's just, this is in the moment. That's how he feels. Congrats to Tom Brady. But, and, and look, I'm the biggest conspiracy guy of all time. I mean, I haven't stopped reading about the Kennedy. I mean, like, you know, and, and, and so, but I don't, because I'm, I'm, I have knowledge, I don't see this as, as some form of conspiracy and disdain towards Bill or Bill towards Tom. I think they're, I mean, Tom is, as Bill said, the greatest player of all time, and Bill is the greatest coach. And if you want to argue that, then just look at Shula, who has the most wins and couldn't go to a Super Bowl with Dan, win a Super Bowl with Dan Marino, went to one. Yeah. I mean, just look at some of the great partnerships in, in, in over the history of the league and explain to me. I mean, what Gibbs did to me is remarkable, winning, go, winning three Super Bowls with three for lack of a better terms, journeyman-type quarterbacks. Not that Theismann was a journeyman or Doug Williams, but, I mean, quarterbacks that are not not really resonated as the top five player in the league. Yeah, it certainly is a partnership that will never be replicated. 
That gets us to this explosive story. Wow. Brian Flores dropping the equivalent of the nuclear bomb in the NFL, suing them in three teams, the Broncos, Dolphins, and Giants, for racial discrimination. Flores also alleging Dolphins owner Stephen Ross attempted to incentivize him to purposely lose games shortly after he was hired in 2019. Ross allegedly offered Flores $100,000 for every loss that season. When the team won toward the end of the year, Ross became angry. Flores also alleges Ross pressured him to violate the NFL's tampering rules by recruiting a prominent quarterback at the end of the 2019 season. And then came the interview of the Giants and the text from Bill Belichick, whom he worked with for 10 years in New England. Flores interviewed with the Giants on January 18th, a follow-up interview scheduled for January 27th. After the original interview, Flores says Belichick texted him to say he heard that he was going to get the Giants job, but that he mistakenly misread the text he had gotten and they were naming Brian Dable, not Brian Flores. As for the Broncos, Flores alleges that when he interviewed for their head coaching job in 2019, then-GM John Elway and others showed up an hour late to the meeting, clearly hungover. A lot to unpack here. First and foremost, Mike, you and I have lost jobs before. You know what it's like. People have told me when I lost my job at ESPN, hey, listen, the worst thing you can do is file a lawsuit. Like Once you get a lawyer and stuff, then it gets messy. Shit happens. You go to the next job, you work hard, you move on. For example, if I... Lost my job for being an alcoholic. You go to the next job. They say, there's a proviso here. If you ever drink again, we're not going to pay you. We're avoiding the contract. I get that. But otherwise, they give you a second chance. You move on. My first thought when I saw this was, Brian Flores gives this many fucks because he's never working in the NFL again. Like, dude, you're done now. Like, he's a really good coach. And you and I both said he should not have been fired as Miami Dolphins coach. And we both said he'll get another job. That is not happening now. We'll unpack all the step-by-step, but just imagine this mindset, Mike, to say, I'm scorching this mofo. I'm done. You know, I think it's the, I think I, I, and look, he obviously has gone on television on ESPN and on CBS Morning News to, to explain why he did this for a bigger reason than himself, which is certainly admirable. But I do think that sometimes that before we send an email or before we get angry at someone, we probably should take some time to think about it. And I think Brian did. I mean, they said on the CBS Morning News show that that Brian, that they wanted to come on before they filed the lawsuit. And CBS said, no, we're not going to do that. And then when they filed, they obviously gave him a form to discuss this. But you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, that that Brian felt felt like this is something bigger than himself and he's willing to take that risk. And and, you know, in one sense, you're you certainly can can appreciate what he's trying to do. I mean, the work of one man or one woman has always been the most powerful tool of all, from Martin Luther starting the Protestant Revolution, from Alexander the Great conquering, you know, from you know, Joan of Arc. Really, I mean, it's all through one movement, but I think that that Brian is obviously has to be successful for this to work, and he's got to install change, and change is hard. And we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. Change in this area for a system that's violently broken, and I use the word violently broken because it is. It is. It, it impacts all people in the league. I mean, in 1984, Bill Walsh said, you know, I, I, this is not the league of the best and the brightest. And, and he's right. And it's also not the league of diversification. Yeah. And, and so that's one part of it. And I'm with you. Does discrimination and racism exist in the NFL just so it doesn't all walks of life? I don't deny that one bit. And so Brian Flores, as you said, commended for saying, you know what? I'm standing up to this. And if it means the end of my career, but it's going to help other people of color, I'm all for it. 
Let's get to the Stephen Ross stuff because this is pretty heavy. Yeah. This, this is saying, it's one thing to say the owner whispered to me like, hey, if we lose this game, you know, not a big deal, right? Doug Peterson, the whole Washington thing with the Eagles, like, hey, wink, wink, if we lose, it's not a big deal, right? To actually incentivize, to say, I'm giving you a hundred grand to lose. Those are loaded charges, Mike. And, and, and if that's proven true, if he's got text messages and proof of this and bank statements, I don't know if Stephen Ross is an owner. Like, that's crazy. I can't imagine he has bank statements. I mean, I can't imagine that, especially the way Ross denied the charges, that there's any kind of trail of of money. And and the evidence doesn't support. I think, I think this is, to me, the way I read this, and I could be wrong, I'm not a lawyer, that I want you to lose, and if you lose, I'll pay you 100 grand. And he started out the season. I think they gave up almost 100 points in the first two games. But at the end of the year, remember, they beat Tom Brady in the last game of the year in Foxborough, which cost New England to not have home field advantage and have to play in a wild card the very next week against Tennessee. They won for the last six games. I mean, I don't think anybody that was in that Dolphin building thought that they, they were trying to lose. And so I think that th- this this is really about Flores is saying the owner wanted him to lose, and he wouldn't, and that's what put him on a bad turn. But let's put some things in perspective a little bit here. So this wanting to lose in that summer before the, the season started, the, there was really, it was tank for Tua, okay? Joe Burrow at this time in history wasn't the Joe Burrow that we know is going to the Super Bowl. That, that wasn't Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, I think... If you could check, and I, I don't have privilege to this information, but I think in, he was not in Mel Kuyper's or Todd McShay's first round picks. He just wasn't. I mean, the first pick overall in all their mock drafts, I think at 19, was, was Tua. Remember, Miami was the, organ, was the place that said, we're tanking for Tua. I mean, that's where, it all, that's where it started from. And so, you know, for me, if you're tanking for Tua, and then now all of a sudden you're after the end of the year you're saying well we could have had Joe Burrow those things don't connect right i mean you were ta- you ended up getting the guy you were tanking for anyway yeah right you ended up getting the guy you were tanking for anyway so why were we going to go through the tanking process they traded Minka Fitzpatrick for a first round pick i mean the general manager was in tune to this as well and he's still employed by the team so i i, I don't think teams intentionally try to lose i truly believe that I don't. I think the players are too... And I and I defended Miami all through this tanking when people are accusing them of tanking. All through the... If you go back and listen to any of my podcasts, I'm saying, look, they're trying to win. They're trying. They're trying to install a culture, which I think Brian was definitely trying to do. But I think this is going to be on Brian to prove that he that he got... He's got to have documentation of this. Because those, like I said, those the racism and discrimination, that's a tough thing to prove. Like, how do you prove that John Elway was purposely biased towards Vic Fangio? That's why, again, as a lawyer, I don't know these things. It seems like a very tough thing to prove, but you're just trying to create change. This stuff, though, you can say, listen, where's the evidence? Did he, did he just say, he'll give you 100 grand? Was it a casual statement? Ross could say, I was kidding around. Like that, again, to actually prove these things can be very challenged. Then gets the stuff with Belichick, which, listen, Belichick and him are friends, right? He worked with the guy for 10 years. Yeah. Now he's making Belichick look terribly, throwing egg at his yeah. face. Like, I was like, if I'm Belichick and I know you're close to them, I'd be pissed. I'm like, dude, like that happens. I screwed up with the text message. Are you you're putting our screenshots out there? I would feel very aggrieved if I'm Bill Belichick. Well, I mean, you know, it's so funny about this, and 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 I'm literally like somebody on the complete outside of this, right? So, at five thirty, and I have it on my telephone. At five thirty Friday night, the day after Brian interviewed. Brian Dayball calls me on the phone. 
And I have a long conversation with them and we talk about a lot of things. And I can say unequivocally under oath that he was asking me about the Miami job. He was asking me about, was the Miami job a good job? If he's fortunate enough to get the giant job, what job would he have? I literally got off the phone. I walked upstairs, turned on the TV, started talking to my wife and said, you know, I just was on the phone with Millie. And 15 minutes later, I get a text from somebody, Dayball's got the giant job. Now, if he had it, if he had it and he played along with me on that phone conversation, then, you know, he's, then Martin Scorsese needs to line him up in his next film because it was a wonderful <laughs> acting job. It was tremendous. Like, and, and, and I'm having a conversation with him about the pros and cons of each job because he was scheduled to go to Miami for an interview on Tuesday. And, and I was just going, you know, and we talked at length about the NSC. We talked at length about the AFC. And I honestly said to him, you know, I think the better job is New York. They're both, they're going to need both repair. But at least in the North, in the NFC, you know, you don't have, you got Dak Prescott. Okay. You got Jalen Hurts. Okay. I think you can manage that. Then, you, you know, Rodgers may take off, right? And then who knows what's going on out in the West with Trey Lance, Garoppolo, and, you know, Russell Wilson, and then, of course, Matthew Stafford. So we had that conversation. So, I mean, unless he was acting, I don't think he did. Now, I don't know how that all plays into it. You know, there was, I really felt no evidence at all. This is, as, as Billy says, you guys just gossip all the time. <laughs> I really felt like, this was one of those situations where I thought the ownership of the Giants wanted Flores. I really did. And I thought from talking to people that Brian had a really good chance there. Now, I'm not saying Brian doesn't Brian doesn't feel like he got a fair interview. Only in the interview process would he know that. Do I think that that when he went to Denver and Elway was disheveled? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I do know, I do know there's times in this league where interviews are given to people of of color and people of not color that are sham interviews that are just we're doing a favor for this guy. I, I understand that. And and I think it's a I think it's wrong because I think if you're gonna fly somebody in and you're gonna sit in front of them, you better learn from them. Yeah. Like I learned Al Davis was the king of that. People never wanted to come interview with Al because A, they thought all he was going to do was just try to get information from him. <laughs> right? right? Which which is wrong with that, right? You know, let me know how much you know, so make me better. Mm-hmm. So I'm not disputing that. But I'm saying is if this were the case, like I'm not involved in this, but it it just seemed to me that that Friday that I was there on the phone with Brian, he didn't know. He didn't know. And I don't know what that means. You know, he could have been a great actor. That's fascinating to me. That's fascinating the way this whole thing is unraveled because now it's just it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. (laughs) Yeah, riddle wrapped in an enigma. It's amazing right now. It's it's a lot to unpack. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about it. Here's here's a few things you and I can agree on. The Rooney Rule doesn't work as it's currently constituted. With that, that we can completely unequivocally agree on. And, And I think this, and I think until they decide to to really put emphasis into developing leaders and coaches and teachers and really, really working hard outside the scheme of football, outside the scheme of football, and set up this, to me, this leadership academy that is going to help young young men and women of minority to really become better. Because this is not about 
this academy isn't just because minorities don't know how to do it. This is academy to enhance people. I mean, you know, some of the, I mean, I bitch about some of the white coaches as much as anybody because they don't know leadership. I mean, it, it should be for everybody. But what I'm saying is to me, if you want to really grow leadership, if you want to improve your rank and file, like the army, like the Marines, like the Navy, then there has to be a way to continue to train. So there's no dispute about it. There's none. And I think that, that I've been echoing in that for years. I think it's important. I think it's something the league should. They have plenty of money. They hold these seminars and they bring in some of these guys that talk about the salary cap and all that. No, no. Let's talk about how to lead men. Let's talk about how to how to coach a coaching staff. Let's talk about how to interview for a head coaching job. Let's talk about philosophy of football. Like, let's talk about those things. Like I told you, I I did this once for uh, uh, at the Minneapolis uh, when I did it at the Minneapolis uh, Final Four, and mm-hmm. it, to me, it was it's a huge void. And I've tried to do it to any coach who's called me on the phone. But when I interviewed them for head coaching jobs, when I interviewed these guys, these coaching candidates for head basketball coaching jobs, I literally were like, stop, stop. We let me like, I don't want let me help you become a head coach. Don't let me help you interview to become a head coach. Because yeah. once I help you become a head coach and think like a head coach, you're gonna interview like a you're gonna interview great. Yeah, it's true. It's all about the preparation stuff. Uh, last point, we're going to move on. But now that Millie mentioned all you guys do is gossip, I want a little bit of gossip out of you. And if you don't answer, it's fine. How would you characterize the relationship now with Bill Belichick and Brian Flores? Well, I think it's, you know, I think he violated a trust between them both. I think, and, and what do you have as friendship, friends, right? You have a trust. You know, there's a code of trust that you, we have amongst each other. That, and to me, I think if what, what it makes this unfair is, if unless Brian, and I don't know if he did this or not, I haven't talked to Bill, but if Brian called Bill and said, Bill, I'm going to use your text in this lawsuit, and Bill gave his blessing, then fine. Right. But to to then to then just use it to me, since I read these texts, trust me, every I mean, I am going to text less, <laughs> say less. <laughs> because right. who knows? It, it makes you worried about everything. You're, you're either on the raft or you're not. And if you're not, I, I mean, this communication world we live in is dangerous. It is it's a slippery so slope. You know, <laughs> That's it's the biggest it, takeaway. Said my friends ago, it just shows you everything can be captured: screenshots, images, Google search history, everything. Just be terrified. Let's go back to the way wise guys would do it. Go to the go to the payphone. I'll meet you in thirty minutes. They can't even. They can't even do. There's no payphones anymore. They took them all out. I mean, where are we going to go? Like, like we got to use the wire. We got to remember how the wire had that map where they would do things on the code and 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 they and they broke the code. Remember in the right. last few episodes, oh, yeah. it was based on the dial. I mean, you're going to have to start doing that. You know, I mean, I I, I literally think you know I can still remember. When I was at the at the owners' meeting as a young general manager in the league, and Art Modell was there sitting on this bench at, at Universal Studios, and the great Leon Hess from Asbury Park, New Jersey, was sitting there next to him, and and Art brought me over and asked me a question. Then he graciously introduced me to Mr. Hess, and and Mr. Hess was asking questions, and he he said to me, you know, you know, kid, he said when you tell one person. And then he put up his other one index finger and said, you've really told 11. <laughs> and You've said that before. That's one of the greatest lines ever. I love it. And so I think that when you text somebody, you've really told the world. 
You tell one person, you tell 11. I, uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this, I'm like, just be careful. With everything with technology, be careful. So, and, and answer your question, I think it's unfair to, I think he put Bill in a bad light. Yeah. I think it's unfair to Bill. Do I Do I think Bill had documentation that, that Dayball was getting the job? I don't know that. Do I think Bill had heard things like I hear things? Sure. Yes. Yes, yes. Everybody hears things. I'm with you on that. All right. Former Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson told ESPN on Wednesday, our boy Hugh, remember we had those book titles for him. He told the Browns four-year plan that incentivized losing. We're going to the same theme here, folks. Let's lose. Okay, great. Incentivizing losing during the first two years. That led to his 1-31 record during 2016 and 2017. I want that to sink in because sometimes people don't think about that. They go, hey, he went 1-31. He said bonus money was available if certain measurables were met, such as aggregate rankings, being the youngest team, having so many draft picks and losing games. Imagine that sit down. All right, let's go through this. Uh, youngest team, yeah, another 100 grand for you. I uh, have this many draft picks, okay, another 100 grand for you. I mean, you were with the Browns organization shortly before Jackson was hired. Was there incentivization like this? I, I can honestly tell you, it's funny. We were, my wife and I were talking about that over dinner last night and, and being around the Haslam family when we lost, which was often in the year, one year I was there. It, it, he was pissed. It was painful. He didn't, you know, it wasn't a joy ride. And I don't know any owner that goes into the year and says, let's lose and enjoys it. I mean, I, I just don't know. I mean, they're too competitive. They've been too successful. Now you could say, well, Ross wanted a tank. I get that, but you don't want to look bad. You don't want to be that bad. I, so, I mean, if, if Hugh's trying to justify his poor head coaching record based on this, he's going to have to have a lot of evidence to support that. Because I'm sure we could go through all the games and 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 there's chances he had to win that that he didn't really manage the game correctly. If you you know, and I'm sure any good lawyer can do that and hire expert witnesses to come in and test. I mean, so to me, look, I mean, your record is your record, and if it was and if it wasn't what you wanted to do, if it wasn't what you believed in, then you should have resigned. You know, you should have been a man of principle and said, look, I'm not doing this. If you're going to just tie my, but you know, I say this all the time. They're the team that traded Deshaun Watson's rights to Houston. I mean, so like, was that saying they didn't want to win or is that saying they couldn't recognize talent? You be the judge. More stuff from Hugh Jackson. We shall see. Still to come here on the GM Shuffle, the Commanders. That's right, Commander-in-Chief. That's the new name now of the Washington football team. Plus, Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan. Who's going to be the new head coach of the Vikings? The reports are out there. We'll talk about it next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings, the crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, well, we know the other name, the Redskins, are long gone. Then it was the Washington football team, and now the Commanders, which they're already being called the Commies. Yeah. Co-CEO Dan Snyder excited to rally and rise together as one under our new identity while paying homage to our local roots and what it means to represent the nation's capital. Coming up next, NFC East battle, Eagles, Commanders. It's going to take a little time to get going. I mean, I'm oh, sure there's man. better options out there, but Generals is okay. But command, I'm telling you right now, though, they're going to start calling them the commies. We're going to feel like it's 87 in the Soviet Union again. It's so hard for me. I mean, look, I, I, you know, I understand the, 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 the harm the name Redskin does. I understand that. And I'm completely sympathetic to that. And I understand it. And I think Dan made a bad decision about not trying to to utilize his wealth and his influence to increase awareness and use the name in a positive light. I get that. I, I get that completely. But I think there is part of me that feels like as a Washington football fan growing up and understanding the history of the team, which at times was horrendous. I mean, George Pressure Marshall wasn't a great owner, and certainly there was a lot of racial tension around him. That there has to be a sense of of honoring some of the past. And I don't, I didn't feel like I felt like the new name should link back to the past in a way to where it could be honored completely. Hmm. And so I just didn't feel and did that mean it needed to be an Indian relic name? No, but I felt like there was a way to do it. And I don't think commanders touched the nerve. Like, I don't think you should change the uniform. You should, like, I don't think we need to rebrand this. Like, th- like, why are we taking Coke and making it something else? Yeah. You know, everybody wanted Coke back again. Like, I, like the Redskins had, the Washington football team or the Redskins had great uniforms. That yeah. helmet to me is one of the, one of the prettiest helmets of all. And the, the Chicago Blackhawks still use theirs because they made some kind of a commitment to, to the nation and, and, and give money and all those things. So I, I just felt like there should be a way of going back into that past. Blackhawks logo, one of my favorites in hockey. And to your point, in Cleveland and baseball, they changed the Indians, but they made it the Guardians. So, okay, the Guardians is apparently a bridge in Cleveland. I would have gone with Cleveland Rockers, but whatever. It's still an A-N-S. The jersey still looks the same rather than just Indians. It's Guardians. So it feels like it's different, but still paying homage to the past, representing Cleveland. For Washington, no one says, oh, man, I love those commanders in Washington. It just doesn't slip off the tongue. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know what focus group they use to, to come up with this. Like, what did they do? Like, I like to be, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall of that focus? group i mean seriously (laughs) like i mean how did this come in like does this make sense i mean you know and and you would think i mean nike invented the swoosh because they i think they had it was the cheapest thing they could come up with and it it worked but sometimes the simplest ideas are the best ideas yeah 
amen to that. It's like we coked a cherry coke. Uh, meantime, Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan. He's a Michigan man. He's out of the running. Okay, so according to multiple reports, the Vikings now going to hire Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. They can't make it official until after the Super Bowl. Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, Giants DC Patrick Graham, the other two finalists. O'Connell's young. He's 36, another young coach getting hired to run a team, spent the past two seasons with the Rams, before that spent time with the Niners, the Browns, and Washington. Clearly, his team's in the Super Bowl, so the Vikings like what he can do. How does he change that Minnesota offense? Well, I think he's got his work cut out for him. I mean, you know, I don't know what happened with the Jim Harbaugh situation. I think uh, I was informed. In fact, I talked to somebody in the league again, that gossip conversation we had earlier. Yeah. I was talked to somebody in the league that thought when that that's that actually viewed the itinerary for Harbaugh when he went in there. It was almost like a uh, a meeting and sign a contract and go. There had to be something that happened on that day, we'll never know, that changed the course of the direction of the Vikings. Uh, and I think it's good for Jim. I, I, I don't know if that was going to be a, a, the ideal setup for Jim. I think Jim continues to win at Michigan, continues to build his brand, continues to have interest in by other teams in the league. I, I think the O'Connell one, be picking him over Patrick Graham for the new general manager, I find that interesting in the sense that, you know, Graham kind of was more of, and I can't say this new general manager's name, Graham's a Yale graduate. I mean, Pat Graham's a really smart guy. Uh, And, you know, he's served his time. He's been around some really good programs. He was in New England. You know, he was Brian Flores' defensive coordinator originally when he got hired. And then then he left and Flores promoted Josh Boyer and he left to go to the Giants. And so, you know, he's been in Green Bay. He's watched good teams. I just felt like he was more experienced. It's interesting he went with O'Connell. I don't know why. I think O'Connell, it's kind of it's kind of funny. O'Connell was telling people who are, you know, what happens in the league. So if you if you go to one of these interviews, right? And and it gets out there on on, you know, Schefter or Ian Rappaport or somebody, you know, Adnan's going for an interview. You will have 8,000 texts from People you know, some people you don't know. Hey, think of me if you need a tight end coach. Think of me if you need a wide receiver coach. You <laughs> right. know, you'll get a thousand of those. So O'Connell, when he went for this interview, was getting a, a, a ton of a ton of those because he's one of the candidates. I'm sure Pat Graham probably hasn't gone through all his texts yet. So he was telling people that knew him well enough that I, I, the interviews went good, but I'm not going to get one of these. And so he really never started to put together a staff because he kind of felt like he wasn't going to get this. So, and then he ends up getting it. Now he's got to come together to get a staff, which I think is interesting. But again, I don't know what made the new general manager go offense, probably because he had, they had Zimmer there before and they've got to, you know, but defensively, you know, with Graham being the final candidate, I certainly thought he would have a better chance because here's two Ivy League guys, you know, I mean, the new GM was from Princeton, right? He's from Yale. Maybe it was the Princeton-Yale conflict that continues to go on in life. I don't know. (laughs) Fascinating to see the developments right now. Lastly, the Broncos officially up for sale. They will likely have the biggest price tag in North American sports history. The sale was announced Tuesday with the Pat Bolden Trust. Operated the team since Bolden stepped away from day-to-day operations of the team in 2014 due to the early onset of Alzheimer's disease. We all know that sports teams are about as good an investment as you can make in America. This team is valued at just under $4 billion. Peyton Manning rumored to potentially show interest in part of an ownership group. Could buy the team, as well as former Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who's been linked to four NFL teams in the past three years, has been interested in owning a team. Those are some heavy hitter names right there, Mike. Yeah, I mean, look, and certainly, you know, we talk about 
minority head coaches. There's no minority owners. And and that there's going to need to be a group of somebody. I mean, Bezos can pay a man out of pocket change to buy the team. So could Elon Musk could pay for it too. But I, I mean, it's going to take, there's very few that can do that in the world. And so I would think that the league would want to have somebody that has some form of a minority ownership stake within it. There's been so much talk about Jay-Z being involved. And certainly he has he has a ton of wealth. Does he have five? I think this is going to go for over $5 billion. I mean, this is going to be like Steve, I think this is because they don't come up for sale. Right, they're not. They're not on the lot. There's not a lot of teams for sale. So, and you get a team like Denver, which is a marquee city, a passionate fan base, unlimited potential on what you could reach. I mean, you're going to make your money back. Yeah, you know, I mean, a billion here, a billion there. Like Evan Dirksen said before long, we're talking about real money. I could see it going for five billion. <sighs> I definitely could. It's the best investment, honestly. If you, it's let's incredible. Just, it's only going to continue to rise. Right. You're never going to lose money on it. The ratings are going through the roof. Right. You know, are there problems within the the the, the league, but with with uh, racial despair? Although, yeah, there's no doubt. We, we're we're trying to work on that and fix that. They, the league understands that they have to. They have to do a better job of it. I think we all do. But the reality of it is, is is it's such a good investment that I think it's going to be like when the Clippers went up for sale. So everybody thought that was going to be, and then Bomber comes in and just puts two billion on the table and says, "Here we go." And you know, and and I think people that buy these teams are not always looking for the. To me, and this is going to be one of the chapters in the book. There's always a the the value of these franchises for me, the way they've gone up. I think the players make a huge mistake in not getting a fund put in place for them as the value of these teams, because they've made the value of these teams go up, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about Belichick and Brady, you know, and Kraft owns the team. He's the one who who put out the money. He took all the risk, right? But did he take all the risk when you're guaranteed to make money? I mean, this is the only business in the world where there's no, it isn't like you're down here at the street opening up Brady's coffee shop and you're taking a risk whether you're going to get customers that day. You're guaranteed to make a profit, right? But the value of this has been enhanced so much by the players that shouldn't there be some way to pay back the players? For this, I mean, I think one of the, cha- the probably going to be the final chapter of the book are who have made the franchise's fortunes. What 10 players have created great wealth for the ownership, coaches and players? It's amazing to think about. I look forward to that chapter. As always, send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the gmshuffle. Billy in Westchester, New York, do you think the allegations about Stephen Ross paying Flores to lose games will finally get the lead to install some kind of lottery system like the NBA for determining the draft order? It seems like with the advent of legalized gambling, it's more important than ever to deter teams from tanking. Yeah, I do think I do too. You know, I mean, remember there used to be a, a, a the old in the old college draft, there used to be the bonus pick where the team that lost first got two first round picks. The Chicago Cardinals ended up in I think that last year was 47. They had two first round picks. The, the league just bonused them a first a first pick overall because they were so shitty, you know, and now teams want to be shitty. But I I do think that look, you know, uh, Burrow was would if you would have tanked that year, Burrow would have been good, but the Dolphins picked two over Herbert. Yeah. And they had to pick in front of them. I mean, like, does tanking really work? Go through some of those NBA drafts. I mean, the 76ers tanked. They traded, you know, and some of the players that they missed when they tanked. Yeah, that's true. You it's know? not, it's not mean, an automatic. That's what happens. It's not an automatic. It still takes talent to evaluate talent. So do I think they should modify the system? Yeah, I do. I do think that there should be a little bit of a lottery with five teams because they're all going to be kind of close together, which incentivizes playing hard. 
Yeah, ultimately, there's no right way or wrong way, but tanking exists in all sports, and clearly the NFL knows, just like every sport, you have to, as you say, disincentivize it. Time now for the Pop Culture Minute. I'll be real quick, a little self-promotion. I got a new gig starting at NBC. You can check out the show. It's called Winter Gold. It'll be on 11 a.m. Eastern on Peacock starting this Saturday, so I've got 17 straight days of going from Hohokus, New Jersey, as Mike knows here in Bergen County, to Stamford, Connecticut. So three years after leaving ESPN, I'm making my return to Connecticut, but not Bristol, we're going to Stanford. I'll be there at NBC. I got my NBC pass. I'm ready to go. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and the best part of it, Mike, it's it's a it's a highlight show, right? Somebody says, I don't have five hours for biathlon. I get that. We are going to have a one-hour highlight show every night. Figure skating, hockey, uh, alpine skiing, all of it. And we're going to just ram it all in there. So it'll be a, a really cool show. And I hope people watch Winter Gold, 10 a, uh, 11 a.m., as I said, on Peacock. And then I'm going to re-air the rest of the day. But I don't I don't think you and I have ever talked too much Olympics. Definitely not Winter Olympics. But I, I love the ski jumping. I just think the concept of ski jumping is amazing. I do love the Olympics. I just, the time difference always kind of messes you up a little yeah. bit. Like, when do you watch? When don't you? Right. I love to watch the, play, you know, and when I was a kid, you know, I can remember watching the 68 Olympics, the 72. I mean, it was the three of the day to get to your team because we had nothing else on. <laughs> That's the other part you know? of it too. We had three channels. Had nothing like, right, else Olympics. on. We had, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. Now, you know, but now, you know, it's like, do I watch this or do I watch an episode of Billions? Which have you watched Billions this year? I haven't. You're watching the new season. Yeah. Rich Cook is shaking his head in disapproval of our producers. So that means it's thumbs well, up. Well, I mean, I think it's that they, okay. they just run out of stories. Yeah. I think what people so miss about The Sopranos is the fact that whenever they needed to change the arc of the show, Tony met with met with a therapist and they changed the arc mm -hmm. and they together within that writing. And then these shows can't change arc. I mean, they replaced Damian Lewis with this new guy who played on, who played uncle junior, yeah. you know, and, and they try to make him the opposite and they trying to keep the characters the same, but it almost would be like, you know what? You know, when there was that great show that they had on with Woody Harrelson and uh, they just did it like every season they would change it. Oh, True Detective. Yeah, True Detective. Yeah. Like I think Billions would have been better off like letting those characters kind of go and then restarting it again because it's kind of a little bit boring to me. It just doesn't seem like, like how long can, can Paul get pissed off at people making billions when his father's a billionaire. Like, seriously, like, how much are we going to take? And he's one, too. Right. I mean, here Giamatti's he is. made a ton of money, right. Here he is sitting here on this farm that he bought with all this wealth that his wife created for him that he didn't turn down. And now he's going to come after all these capitalist guys. Like, where is the lot? Like, tell me where this makes sense. And they throw so many cliche song cliches in there that, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, enough of this already. Yeah, listen, you and I love pop culture, but they just ram in the pop culture references oh, yeah, for they no just reason. Do it all, like, yeah. like, I could write it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. Two episodes next week as you preview the Super Bowl. A lot to chew on. Have a great weekend. I don't know what the hell we're going to do this weekend. No football on, but we'll, we'll watch some basketball, some hockey, and hopefully some Winter Olympics. Thanks for listening.